Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1. We'll be reading the first 17 verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. That without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, for I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And God bless the reading of His Word. You know, we're going to be going on a journey over the next several months. And our journey is going to take us into this deep mountain called the book of Romans. You know, this book of the New Testament has proved to be a major force of trans- transformation in the lives of numerous people throughout church history. I'm just going to read you a few uh, statements about this book. You know, in the summer of 386, it was a passage from the book of Romans that brought the great influential early church leader and scholar Augustine to faith in Christ. In 1513, Martin Luther you know, kept thinking about Romans 1.17, which says the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, that is as it is written. He who through faith is righteous shall live. The monk went on to say, Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy He justifies us by faith. Therefore I felt myself to be reborn. And to have gone through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. And Martin Luther was born again. And the Reformation began in his heart. In May of 1738, a failed minister and missionary reluctantly went to a small Bible study where someone read aloud from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. And this man said, While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, 
I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that day that my sins were taken away, even mine. And John Wesley was saved that night. Martin Luther said this about the book of Romans. It is the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect gospel. The absolute epitome of the gospel. Luther's successor, Philip Melanchthon, called Romans the compendium of Christian doctrine. John Calvin said of the book of Romans, When anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. Samuel Coleridge, English poet and literary critic, said Paul's letter to the Romans is the most profound work in existence. Frederick Godet, 19th century Swiss theologian, called the Book of Romans the cathedral of the Christian faith. G. Campbell Morgan said Romans was the most pessimistic page of literature upon which your eyes ever rested, and at the same time, the most optimistic poem to which your ears ever listened. Richard Linsky wrote that the Book of Romans is beyond question the most dynamic of all New Testament letters, even as it was written at the climax of Paul's apostolic career. So obviously, uh, Romans is pretty important in the life of the church and has had a huge impact. It is a mountain uh, to be explored. And we're going to take our first steps this morning. And as we take our first 17 steps onto this mountain of a book... Uh, We're going to discover the Apostle Paul, who he is, who the author of the book is, why he says what he says, how he introduces himself, and also why he's writing this letter to begin with. So these first 17 verses give us both an entry point to the rest of the book, but also they challenge us as we consider what God has done in Paul's life. So let's first consider Paul's introduction, and then we'll consider why he's writing this letter. You know, it's interesting that Paul had never visited Rome up to this point. Uh, He had never been there that we know of. He had never visited the Christians there in Rome. Uh, This is one of the few churches that we read about in the New Testament that Paul did not start. And uh, many believe that the church began as a result of the event described in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they began to speak in different languages in Acts 2. Luke tells us that there were visitors of Rome in the crowd. And so many believe that when they heard the gospel, those visitors from Rome went back to Rome and the church was begun. And perhaps others heard the gospel in their travels from the city of Rome to other places in the empire. But somehow this gospel message was was, uh, birthed in that city in the lives of people and the church was uh, created. And since Paul had never been to Rome, he never visited with these Christians in Rome, he wanted to introduce himself. He's writing this letter to them, and so he needed to explain who he is, why he's writing to them. And in his introduction, he tells us some things about himself and shares with them what God has been doing in his life. In verse 1, Paul uses three words to describe himself. And you see it in verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, Set apart for the gospel of God. 
And so he says, first of all, he is a slave to Christ, literally. I mean, he says, Christ is my master. I am a slave to Christ. I've been bought with a price. And I'm all about doing what Jesus wants me to do. He says, secondly, he's called to be an apostle, which was a unique calling for those original 12 plus Paul in the early church that would lay the groundwork for the scriptures and the foundation of the early church. And then third of all, he says that he had been set apart for the gospel of God. And this is who Paul was. You know, he was a man saved by Christ, sent into the world for Christ, and he was set apart to preach the gospel of Christ, not only to the Jew, but also to those who are not Jewish. So in verses 2 through 5, he gives some even clarification as to the gospel that he is called to preach and the one he is, in which he is referring to. He says that the gospel that, has been, that he has been set apart to preach uh, is not some new uh, you know, idea, but rather it's an extension of the promise of the Old Testament. It has been talked about for generations and centuries, and it is the fulfillment of the promises of God in the Old Testament. It's not some newly invented religion, but it is a continuation of what God has been doing all throughout history. He says the gospel centers around a person, and this person is descended from David according to the flesh. But at the same time, he is also the Son of God. And through his resurrection from the dead, it was clearly demonstrated that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus is the one who opened the door of salvation to the nations, Paul says. And he has been set apart to spread this good news about Christ and how the nations can be brought in to the family of God. And so it's this good news, the gospel that Paul is referring to, that actually birthed the church in Rome. And it's to this church that Paul extends his greetings of grace and peace, which is found through faith in Christ. So this is Paul's introduction in the letter. And as we read this introduction, I know as I read it, uh, I was challenged by Paul's description of himself. You know, I know we don't share everything in common with Paul, right? I mean, we're not apostles in the sense that he was. Uh, So there were some unique things that Jesus called Paul to do that he's not calling us to do. But there are also some things that we do share with Paul. Because if you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, then you have been set apart. Now, you may not have been set apart to go to Rome, but you have been set apart to serve the Lord. You've been set apart to serve God and your fellow man. You've been set apart as a servant of Christ. You are the representative of Christ wherever you go. So just as Paul was representing Christ wherever he went, so you too, if you're in Christ, this is who you are. You are a set apart one. You are a sent one. You are a servant. You are one who has been bought with a price. And Paul understood that. He knew, okay, I I know I'm a servant of Christ because of what God has done for me. I know I am set apart. I know what God wants me to do. He understood that he he belonged to God. He was a, a slave, literally, a slave of Christ because he has been bought by the grace of God. And so what we see is, you know, we're not our own. If you're in Christ, you are not your own. But you have been bought with a price. You are, you are God's prized possession because of what Christ has accomplished for you. 
And this means, practically, that we don't do whatever we want. Right? If you're, if you're set apart uh, for Christ and what He's calling you to be and do, uh, if He is your master, if He owns you, then if what we want does not line up with what God wants, then guess what? We need to change what we want, right? Because it's all about what He wants. We want to want what He wants. And I believe, and this is what Paul, I think, understood here and experienced, the more we understand what God has done for us, and the more we understand who God is, the more we will want what God wants. And this is the process that Paul is even explaining in his introduction. This is who I am. I am a servant. I am doing what God wants. I want what God wants. I'm set apart. And that's what is causing him to write this letter. So Paul, you know, he understood that um, if you, as you joyfully embrace the gospel message, what Christ has done for you, and you seek to live the way God wants you to live, that's what leads to life. I mean, that's what Paul understood. He understood this is where life is found in Christ, in service to Christ and His fellow man. So Paul says he's a servant, he's called, and he is set apart from the, for the gospel. And that's his introduction. Then in verses 8 through, 8 through 17, he begins to transition to why he's writing this letter. He says that he's been praying for the church in Rome. He's heard of their faith and he's encouraged. He tells them that he longs to see them, but he's been unable to make the journey so far. Then he tells them why he's so focused on strengthening their understanding of the gospel as well as extending the gospel's reach to where it's unknown. Look at verses 14 through 16. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul says that the reason he's so passionate about sharing the gospel is that he's under obligation to all people, which is a pretty strong word when you think about it. You know, he's saying, I am under obligation to everyone, to the wise, to the foolish, to the, to the Greek, to the barbarian, which means that he sees himself in debt to those around him that don't know Jesus. And the only way for him to pay off that debt that he owes the people around him, around him is to share the gospel with them. Like he's, he feels that he is in debt to those around him that don't know Christ. And the only way to pay that debt is to give them the gospel, to share with them the gospel. And he perceives that you know, he's been given something of great value and it would be wrong to keep it to himself. So he feels this obligation to share it with other people. And I, I was just thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, do we think that way? <laughs> do I think that way? I, I say, you know what, I don't always think that way. I mean, sure, I think, well, you know, it would be, it would be good for people to believe in Christ, to embrace the gospel. I mean, it would benefit them. I mean, it would be good for them because it's true and right. But do I feel like I'm in debt to them? I mean, do I feel like I'm in debt to my neighbor and my family members because I've been given this treasure of the gospel that I'm actually indebted to humanity? And the only way to uh, 
fulfill that debt is to share the gospel with those around me? Do I feel that way? No, I don't. I mean, sometimes I do, but most of the time I just think the gospel's true and it would benefit you to believe it. But do I feel obligated, indebted to the people around me to share the gospel? And I would say, no, you know, I, I don't often feel that way. Um, and yet I read this about Paul and I'm challenged by his set-apartness. Yeah. He's been set apart for this purpose to represent Jesus. And if you're in Christ, you've been set apart. And we should sense an obligation, this indebtedness. We've been given something of great value that is not meant to be uh, kept silent. What's interesting too is um, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And the word he uses there for power is the word that we get our word dynamite from. Now, if you're doing the math, you realize, okay, dynamite did not exist in Paul's day. <laughs> right? Uh, dynamite was not really kind of created until the 1800s when Nobel created what we know as dynamite. And so what's interesting, though, is that when he created dynamite in the 1800s, this explosive material, and he put it together, and he thought about what should I call it? He said, I guess, I got an idea. Let's call it dynamite, which is the same word that Paul uses in the Greek in the first century that explains this explosive strength of what God has done through Christ, the gospel. It is the power of God. And so it's interesting that you know, when Nobel created dynamite and he was thinking about a word, he uses the word that Paul describes the gospel with. Like that's the power I'm talking about. It is explosive. It just blows things away and creates space for the new to be erected. You know, if you've ever seen things blown up by dynamite, I have not experienced dynamite, but uh, I've seen the effects of dynamite. Like if you've ever driven around a mountain road and you see the mountain coming down and kind of the sharp incline and you see these almost uh, like these lines coming down the rock, you know, where they would drill down into the rock and place some type of explosive and just blow the rock off the side of the mountain to make way for the road. I mean, that's dynamite. It is explosive. It paves the way for something new to be built. Uh, and that's what Paul's saying. The, the, the gospel is like spiritual dynamite. It blows away the old, makes way for the new. This is the power of God. God's power is shown forth most clearly in the gospel. And so when someone, anyone, who embraces the gospel, places their faith in Jesus Christ, the old will pass away, the new will come, because that's the power of God. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. I am obligated to share this good news, this powerful news with those around us. That's his ambition. He wants to give as many people the opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ as he can. And he feels obligated to do that because of the power and the beauty of the gospel message. And I want to challenge you to think about that. Do you feel that obligation? Do you sense that stewardship of this treasure that we have to actually share it with those around us? Hopefully you're, you're challenged by Paul's passion. 
And then finally, Paul gives us his thesis statement. You know, we're, some of y'all are going back to school. Thesis statements. Adam, you're probably going to be teaching this. Uh, thesis statements. What's the thesis statement? Uh, your thesis statement simply expresses the main idea. In other words, okay, here's my paper, here's a book, whatever. The thesis statement is telling you, hey, this is what the rest of this is all about. This is the thesis statement. Now, how many of you uh, have been to Chattanooga, Tennessee? Right? Okay. All right. Um, I was talking to this lady the other day who was telling me that she's planning a trip to Chattanooga. This will be her first time going. And my first time was just a couple years ago. I took our family up there for like fall break. And so, you know, when you're going to a place for a little mini vacation, you're trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do in Chattanooga? So, you know, I said, well, here's some things you need to do when you go to Chattanooga, Tennessee. You need to go to uh, and see Rock City, right? It's worth seeing. You need to do the whole incline railway up Lookout Mountain. Do that. And I said, the third thing you need to do is you need to go to Ruby Falls. How many of y'all have been to Ruby Falls? Okay. I said, you need to go to Ruby Falls. Now, for those of you who have not been to Ruby Falls... What's interesting about Ruby Falls is that this 145-foot waterfall is located inside the mountain. Okay, so usually you go to a waterfall, you hike through the woods, you see a waterfall. Well, this waterfall, 140 feet tall, is inside the mountain. And so to see this waterfall, you have to to go to the top of Lookout Mountain, to this little uh, building... You have to go in. They have a little gift shop there, of course. Get it? What did you get? Your trinkets, whatever. But then you get into an elevator, and you go 26 stories down into the mountain. And then once you get there, you hike through the caverns until you get to Ruby Falls, this massive, tall, interesting, beautiful waterfall. Well, the thesis statement. Of Romans and most thesis statements, you know, the thesis statement is like the tour guide at the top of the mountain telling you what you're about to experience. Say, okay, we're going to go down and we're going to see this huge waterfall. It's going to be awesome, Uh, but that's what we're going to do. You know, okay, got it. But you know, that's helpful to kind of understand where you're going. But until you actually get in the elevator, you start descending like a thousand feet into this mountain. And start walking through the caverns, and you're seeing this mountain within, you know, inside this mountain, all these different formations, and then you come upon this waterfall. That's a different experience, right? I mean, you're getting a fuller, uh, more impactful view of what this is all about, what is inside this mountain. And so, Paul's thesis statement is verse 17, and it's going to tell us what the rest of the book's about. And it's powerful in and of itself, but it just lays the groundwork for what we are about to experience over the next several weeks. Look at verse 17. This is what Paul says. He says, you know, he said in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for everyone who believes. And then in verse 17, he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And what's interesting is Paul's actually quoting from the book of Habakkuk, the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. 
Which shows again the connection of the gospel message, what Jesus came to do with what God was doing all throughout history in the Old Testament. That the gospel is an extension of what God has been doing all along. But he says, the righteous shall live by faith. So this is the thesis of the entire book. This is what Romans is all about. It's the entry point. It's like the elevator shaft of Lookout Mountain to go see the falls. This is where we dive in. Paul says, this is what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the book. The righteous shall live by faith. He will unpack this truth that we are made right with God through faith in what Jesus has accomplished through His death and resurrection. That's the rest of the book. It's it's the entry point and as you dive in this gospel message we will realize is so rich that it's not just how you enter the family of God but it encompasses all of what it means to not only know God but walk with Him. And Paul is going to unpack that in the next 15 chapters. He is going to unpack the gospel. So we're in for quite a journey. And I'm going to try to be the best guide I can be. But hopefully you'll be reading along as well. And we'll trust that the Holy Spirit will be our ultimate guide as we seek to better understand this gospel that Paul feels so obligated to proclaim to the nations. So we are in for quite a journey as we explore the mountain of the book of Romans. Let us pray. Father, thank You for the Gospel and that it is a message that can be summed up so simply that You love us, You sent Your Son for us, that if we place our faith in Jesus, we will be forgiven and we will have eternal life forever. But at the same time, we can dive down so much deeper and see the beauties of what you've done and are doing and will do. All because of your love for us. You have such a great plan that you've been implementing all throughout the years. And we're so thankful that we can be a part of that. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would see that we are made right with you. Our sins are forgiven. Everything that needs to be done has been done through the work of Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, would they place their faith in Christ today and be brought in to the family of God? Lord, would you work in our hearts over the next several months as we seek to understand more fully what you've done for us through Christ? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.